0: Set aside your fantasy and sci-fi doorstoppers. Sometimes big ideas come in small packages. This is Word Less. Tonight, we're going to be talking about one of the most talented of American authors and poets, also notoriously a drug addict and a rapscallion, Edgar Allan Poe. He lived from 1809 to 1849, and if you've read a few of his stories, it's not hard to see how, how he's affected later horror and sci-fi English writing. Not to mention mystery. He probably died of an overdose and was a pretty troubled person. But what do you think about his works in general?
1: Well, I appreciate the fact that you sent me back to high school, do more <laughs> high school homework <laughs> again. So yeah. I was exposed to Edgar Allan Poe in school you, uh, by, by that comment, right? But um, I loved him when I was exposed to him in school. After that, I devoured, you know, his writing. Um, he's a magnificent author. He really is. I find it interesting, like, you know, you you commenting about his personal history, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I know a lot of people kind of, well, you know, if I don't like the author personally, then I can't get into his writing. Well, Poe is kind of like a, a good example of somebody who may not have been the greatest human being ever, or he may be considered a troubled person, however you want to characterize it, but his writings speak to you right whether we're Mm -hmm. talking about horror or um they make you feel something they make you feel something and and his writing is excellent and uh to your point it basically what what you see in his writing is the basis of a lot of what we see in um, modern american gothic horror sci-fi even um, mystery mystery just like, and it's a very, it's a very American writing, I guess is, is what I can say. It's very, it's distinctly American. Whereas, like you know, when you read Tolkien, that's distinctly British. Poe's distinctly American.
0: Yeah, yeah, and much of, the, in much the same way that Mark Twain is an American author, he's an American I, author. Very much so. I agree with that. So fun, fun fact. Well, first I should start say by saying my first experience with Poe was my dad reading him to me when I was I would say about seven he he used to read poetry poetry to me all the time. and it's the Raven and Annabelle Lee were my first two experiences with him, yeah, so Dad used to just open the poetry book and read it to him, and I still have that book by the way.
1: <laughs> that's cool. and but so Poe was kind of like your your baby you, you wanted to kind of go, go back in and start yes. reading Poe's short. You wanted to repost your
2: stories. Let me ask you this. Like what, what speaks to you the most or what's what attracts you so much to Poe? His prose, I think. He just and his ability to be a chameleon.
0: In that way I would compare him to Neil Gaiman. Like he writes across a whole bunch of different genres.
1: I like that. I like that. Yeah, because uh, it was interesting when uh, rereading uh, the short stories that we picked this time, I was struck, really, this time, by how much in his book, in his, I'm sorry, I say book, in his <laughs> stories, the majority of the story is really about setting an atmosphere.
0: Yeah. For sure. And not and not so oh, much well, on... Some TV of them myself. are. Some of them right. are. The ones we picked are.
1: <laughs> that is true. That is true. But it's amazing what you can do. Uh, look, I would say that, that when we decided to start this podcast, Edgar Allan Poe was the kind of author I was thinking of, right? Somebody who is just a brilliant short story writer. Just brilliant at it.
0: So... I would just like, we're going to be doing his dark and broody stuff, which is, of course, what he's known for. Um, But I would like to point out that he has a couple, he actually can be very funny. And he has a short story called The Businessman, which is basically about this grifter and con man, and it's punchy and snarky. And he also has a story called Three Sundays in a Week, which is about the nephew trying to get permission to marry ok, so this is where we get <laughs> a little bit into <laughs> Poe's questionable history. his great uncle's daughter, <laughs> who's six years mm-hmm. his junior. And the so they create it's like one of those um almost classic fairy tales where they trick um, three three Sundays into a week by having two people travel the world opposite directions so that when they all get back, They've each experienced Sunday on a different day. So it was three Sundays in a week and it's a very clever little story. So and it's very funny as well. Um so now, dark and brooding.
1: Yes. Up my alley, dark and
0: brooding. <laughs> yep. Um, would you like to start or do you want me to start?
1: Well, I, I think the, the short story I picked is like if not his most famous work pretty close, so let's, let's go with yours.
0: Okay, so I'm doing the Mask of the Red Death. So the premise of this story is that there's plague in the land. And so the prince and the duke and a bunch of their hanger-ons go up into the hills and weld, like literally weld themselves into this palace so that they don't have to be around the great unwashed masses. And by the way, spoilers, because this is like a ten page story. It's very, very short,
2: yeah. spoiler for
1: for a story that was, that's more than a hundred years old <laughs> that that too.
0: <clears throat> like, oh, yeah. anyway. So, um, they weld themselves in and they hold this great big party
2: that's a masquerade in this chamber that has seven rooms. Each room is a different color. And there's a clock in the very last room, which is the black room. And the first room is blue. And when, anyway, basically, the plague shows up anyway and kills
0: everybody. But it's all very metaphorical. And one of the things I, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this (laughs) is like three weeks ago, we had the gridiron dinner and all the elites showed up and had this great big party, and everybody got COVID! <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I so mean, it, I just it, find it very ironic. You know, and also there's the fact that the the bubonic plague, this is based on the Nunomic new, plague, but the bubonic plague, like, Henry II had two children that died of it. Like, just being on right. Elite doesn't protect you from life. Right.
1: I mean, so, to me, one of the marks of a, a really, really, really good story is exemplified by The Mask of Red Death. Because The Mask of Red Death itself, it's, it's very, it's heavy on the metaphors, it's heavy on the symbolism. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes it truly great is that you can read it, to your point, you can read it today. And something that Poe never contemplated, COVID-19, right? right. Um, <laughs> the story still speaks to us today. That speaks to its greatness, its timelessness, right? And that te- to me, that, that, that tells you the author did something truly special, right? Um, and, and that's what we have here. And uh, I hate to go all all high school stuff, but like, you know, maybe <laughs> go back to high school and, and go back to, media, like, you know, like, there's it, a
0: reason why we make high school students read them,
2: though.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, the colors are can can be viewed as the cycle of life, you know, with blue representing birth and black representing death and, you know, and all the colors in between having different symbolism. That's one way to interpret it. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Um.
1: There, it can represent uh, different classes, different casts. The the story, obviously, uh, the duke uh, is represented as a fool. You know, uh, speaking to uh, how the elites can be insular and think they're above it all, um, and but they're not immune to what we're all what we what we all experience because we're all human, And, and. it goes on and on and on. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm rambling at this
0: point. No, no, no. But I want to read a quote, yeah. a quote real quick. So, Absolutely. The external world could take care of itself. In the meantime, it was folly to grieve or to think. The prince had provided all the appliances of pleasure. There were buffoons. There were improvisatory. A word I can't say. Uh, there were ballet dancers. There were musicians. There was beauty. There was wine. All these things and security were
2: within. Without
0: was the red death,
2: yeah, that's good. I mean, it just gives you chills and you got to remember that the Prince and
0: the Duke are supposed to be taking care of their people. But no, we're going to we're going to go have a party. you guys you guys can all die. Just die.
1: <laughs> again, I the just... more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Exactly. so,
0: so let's talk about the clock go ahead okay so there's a clock in the last room the room that nobody wants to go into
2: and every time the clock chimes the people stop everything stops and it becomes quiet and everybody gets weirded out basically and then the clock stops chiming and Everyone's like, oh, wasn't that silly of us to stop for the clock?
0: And then they start partying again, and they're like, next time we won't, we won't stop for the clock.
2: And then the clock rings again. So how do you feel about that? Well, so... Do you think again, it was heavy-handed? Well, what was the symbolism you took from it? Because
1: to me, uh, time stops for no one, right? Death comes for everyone. That, that, that to me, is what the clock is saying. So I don't know whether you had a different take on
0: that. That's was my take, which is why I said, do you think it's heavy? It's definitely a metaphor.
1: Well, I, I mean, heavy-handed, I mean, I guess it just depends on how you look at it. We're, we're talking about a story that's 10 pages long, and um, this goes to, to me, one of the reasons I love uh, short stories so, so much every word in the story it, and every the placement of everything in there is done with intention right mm-hmm. and it's meant to have and it's meant to have multiple meanings so in one sense is a heavy-handed yeah sure i mean he's not trying to hide the ball from you right? right on the other hand it's not that heavy-handed because you know it can have multiple meanings it could it could mean death it could mean time right it could mean uh uh, it could mean inevitability. It has multiple meanings.
0: I also think that one of the things it does, I think it's a little heavy handed, but that's okay. We each have moments in our life
2: where we suddenly remember that you too are mortal. Like that, you know, there's that whole, I don't
0: know, apocry- apocryphal story about like Caesar had somebody to whisper that in his ear. Yes. And I don't know if that's true, but we all have moments in our life. You get in a car accident. You find out you have not even as serious as cancer. You you find out you have something sick. You find out you have COVID. You find out you
2: you know. I, you have these moments where you're like, "Oh shit, this is going to end. Like, this is going to be over. What am I doing with my life?" And then you kind of forget again. You know, I had a friend who dropped dead uh, two months ago. He was 40, he was 34. I'm sorry. No, it's, but my point is, is I said to myself, I need to
0: pick up my phone and call this friend from high school that I haven't talked to in six months. And then life happened and I just, I still haven't done it. I've texted her a few times.
2: So that's what... Oh wow. <laughs> um so the Mask of Red Death
1: is uh is, speaks to you, right? I mean, that, <laughs> yes. That, I mean that 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 that's kind of what we're talking about, right? And uh look, for those of you that haven't read it, um you should give it a try. Um, and this actually what uh what Allison is, is communicating, um this is what I mean when I when I say um You don't have to like an author. You don't have to approve of what an author is or does to appreciate his works, right? And what you're saying speaks to that.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, like what I said about the clock. Yes, the countdown to death. But also there's this, man, I just went back to what I was doing instead of doing what I should have done. Even though I had this moment where I remembered where things were really important. Right. And uh, and now I might um, have to go, I, I'm sorry. I, to, I should text my friend and set up an appointment so that we can talk.
1: So, guys, so we're going to pause this episode briefly, and Allison's going to call her
2: friend, and we'll be right back <laughs> with, with, our, with our new <laughs> short story. Exactly. So, what do you think about the last scene? Or the la- the very last Part of this story,
1: well, you mean all of them dropping dead?
0: where they're they're all pulling back in terror, and then they're chasing they're literally chasing this figure through the building or through the rooms, and then they grab the they grab the whatever he is, and there's nothing there. And then they all drop dead,
1: right. So, um obviously, the the figure is the the symbol for the actual like plague or pestilence itself, right? right. Um, so I mean, you could take that. At, I mean, there there's one way to view it as, you know, the foot that it's literally one of the four horsemen, right? um come to bring uh, the, the ending, right? Um, but basically the for me, the reason the the figure was ungraspable or not not able to be touched was because, he was already present in each one of them or she was already present in each one of them um and um there so the interesting part was the revelers
2: chasing chasing the pestilence to try to destroy it was the inversion
1: of what they did at the beginning was which was to run away from it right? Right. So it's, it was, it was, it's a clever bit of, the clever bit of writing on Poe's part to kind of display that no matter how much you may try to escape the realities of life, you know, it will come for you. You will have to go back to it, you know, Uh, one way or the other. At least that's what I took from it. What did you take from it?
0: I just, um, all that, but also I just like how spooky it is. Like, yeah this figure shows up, and they've been in the castle for like, six months, I think, at this point. And when they grab onto it, there's nothing there. And I think that that's a very, um... I don't know if, this was before germ theory and all that, but it has a very... that's really what it's like, you know? Um, you try to do this, you try to do that. but there's nothing you can really grab onto.
2: You know I I, don't
0: yeah. know, I I just, and it's, like I said, it's spooky. It's almost a ghost story, I would say. Yeah. I mean,
2: I, I, I think it's
1: interesting. We've spent, what, almost 20, 30 minutes talking about a 10 page story, which, I mean, if that doesn't tell you. A, how good the story is, but B, that you don't need to have um, hundreds of thousands of words to tell a compelling story then I don't know what can.
0: Right. So, what's your story, Mark? (laughs) Oh, it's just
1: this little thing called the fall of the House of Usher.
0: I've never heard of it Um, before.
1: Yeah, never heard of it. (laughs) And it has has no applicability whatsoever to stories that have been told time and time and time again in books, in movies, in TV shows, etc. But basically, I, this seems to be a theme of mine. I have another unnamed narrator, which that just seems to be my thing, right? Um, he arrives at the house of Usher, uh, which is a creepy mansion o- owned by his boyf- boyhood friend, Roderick Usher. Roderick's been sick, and um, he asked the narrator to come to him for help. So the narrator comes, spends some time admiring the house, how awesome and spooky it is. Um, And he finds that the people that live in the house are Roderick and his sister, Madeline. Um, And the family's known for being like um, lovers of the arts, right?
2: And charitable
0: as well.
1: Right. And Roderick is not
0: well.
2: (laughs) To put it mildly.
0: Yeah.
1: He is uh, suffering from, quote, an acuteness of the senses. In other words, hypersensitivity to light, sound, taste, touch. Um, he feels he will die of fear. Um, he he fears he's going to die because of how scared he is of everything. So his friend keeps on trying to make him feel better. Um, you know, don't, by like, huh?
0: Don't forget, his sister is also... I'm getting to the sister.
1: So, um, his friend tries to cheer him up by, like, you know, doing songs and dances and poems and all this stuff. Roderick also thinks that part of the reason uh, that all this is happening is because of his sister. And uh, his, because his sister suffers from what we would call epilepsy today, right? Um, So, um, despite all this and all the cheering up and stuff that's being tried to be done, uh, Madeline dies, or at least Roderick says Madeline dies. So they bury her. Um, and the thing is, she only looks like she's dead because of the epi- epilepsy. She's not actually dead. So after she's been entombed, she comes back out, and um, the narrator freaks out. Roderick like, goes bananas. Madeline is kind of, let me see, unhappy about being buried alive. Um, And uh, they get into a fight. Roderick dies. Madeline's going berserk. The unnamed narrator leaves, and the house caves in behind him as he escapes on a dark and stormy night. Oh, wow. So that is the fall of the House of Usher.
0: I have uh, such a different take (laughs) on this story. (laughs) So, all right, go ahead. Give me your thoughts. So the whole time we know that Madeline is sick, and she's been fighting this her whole life. Mm-hmm. She get she takes to her bed as our hero arrives.
2: I find it interesting you use the word hero, but continue. I I air quoted the hero. Okay. Um, he's not a hero. So. She dies and in fact, she appears to die. Now wait,
0: now wait. Okay. So Roderick says, I don't want to actually bury her. I'm going to put her in the, this holding place for a couple days. I think this is a story about vampirism. Mm
2: -hmm. And that the reason why Roderick is so sick is because his sister has been feeding on her. That's
0: my take.
1: <laughs> so you know, I think that's great. I mean, I really do. That that's a great take on this. To be honest, I never actually thought of it uh, until you mentioned it to me. So this is the second time, by the way, guys. That we we tried to do this podcast, and the <laughs> first time, first time she mentioned it, I'm like, huh, that's kind of malarkey. But then I thought of it. I'm like, actually, it kind of holds together. I I I, uh, I see where you're coming from, right? Like Madeline's only only appears at night. Everything's dark and gloomy. Roderick specifically fears his sister more than he fears anything else. Mm-hmm. You have a point. I guess is, <laughs> is what I'm saying, right?
0: But it also takes her like nine days to wake up and come for him. Like it, it, it can't an epile uh, an epileptic fit does not last that long.
1: All right. So how do you explain the house crashing and falling? Like. Collapsing, you know. Oh, that's as... just magic. Meh, nah, magic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so...
0: I mean, epilepsy doesn't explain that either. <laughs> right.
1: So I have a little bit of a different take. To me, uh, to quite clearly, the fall of the house usher. Well, a, it a, a gets back to Poe's troubled life. But mm-hmm. I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not even going to discuss that. To me, this is a story about mental mental illness, and mm-hmm. uh, somebody losing his grip on sanity and eventually uh going irretrie- irretrievably insane in indicative of the fact that the house is the mind and the two parts of the brain as illustrated by Roderick and madeline right are at war with each other and despite the rational part or the 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 non-depressed part of himself <laughs> as illustrated by the narrator trying to get him back onto the straight and narrow. Um, it's all unsuccessful. And eventually his mind collapses in on itself. Yeah, it's, that's, how, that's how I viewed it.
0: It's in a lot of ways, even though this is kind of billed as a horror story, it's actually a tragedy. I mean, it has some kind of scary, creepy things in it, but like when he's walking through the house and there's, he talks about how like, basically the house is rotting. And it has all these old weapons and all these old things along the walls. And they're all just falling into decay. And he goes into his friend's room and, or his, not like his bedroom, but like his library or whatever. And there's just like books and instruments just scattered all over the room. And there's no rhyme or reason to the whole thing.
1: Right. Science of a of mind.
0: Right. Exactly. So my favorite part of this story is the framing of the unnamed protagonist mm-hmm. reading the the myth about the night breaking in to get to the hermit, and then as he's reading it, there's different thing noises described in the book or in the story he's reading to his friend, and then they start taking place in the house. That's right. So what yeah. do you, What did you think about that?
1: That was great. That wasn't that great, right?
0: Oh, it was so great. Um... That's the most Um, horror y thing about this.
1: That's again, to me, that's a reflection of the of 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 the brain trying to capture what is being like read to him on page, right? But no, that was good. Actually and so I was struck by two different things, kind of related, kind of unrelated to the story itself, that I want to ask you about, if you don't mind. Okay. Go ahead. One you know, so you had me read H.G. Wells, which I had never read, to mm-hmm. be fair, um, until you asked me to. And then we have this book, and I find it interesting that that this having an unnamed narrator seems to be a convention of the 19th century. I this is completely anecdotal on my part. Maybe it's just these two two authors, but I, I I've been struck the fact that we have unnamed narrators in both of these stories. And I was wondering, A, what do you think about this convention? And B, would you like to see it brought back
2: in a story?
0: So, I think it's more a convention of
2: very specific genre of that time. If that makes sense. Because
0: I mean... Poe was writing around the same time as well Austin Jane Austen was writing a little before him I think uh-huh. I don't remember um you know and Frankenstein has a n- named narrator I think it's there's a very specific genre uh, of sci-fi that was they used it I think they used it to make you put yourself into the narrator at, see yourself as the narrator is how i think it's being used no do so, i want to so see I, it co-
1: oh sorry i agree with that by the way and, and i do agree with that so yeah but what about having it come back
0: i mean it's one of those things that in the right author's hand it's great
1: so uh, look from, i don't from, know yeah. i like i mean sure so 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 here's the thing i i think a lot a lot of stories nowadays when they want to try to put you in the person's shoes they basically do a first person narrative or the, the book reads like a diary, right? Um, right. Like, so you're either in the person's head, so uh, you're an unreliable first-person narrative, right? You're an unreliable first-person narrative, or else basically it's a diary, right? Um, And we see multiple examples of this in, in modern liter- literature. And I'm sitting here trying to think how, like, l- let's give an example of a popular series the dresden files is written as a as, as a first person unreliable narrator right right how uh, how i'm just imagining what if the dresden files was written just the way like similar same storylines and everything like that but instead of it being written in that narrative is written with an unnamed sidekick an unnamed person or thing that's always with him that that um uh, so it's kind of like of a watchman
0: or something like yeah, that.
1: Exactly. So I'm not saying I'm not saying it would improve the story at all. Uh, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it would be an interesting experiment. And I would like to I would like to see somebody give
0: it a try. You know who I think should give it. There's two authors I can think of off the top of my head that I think would be really good at doing this. Talk Maybe me. three. M.K. Jemison. Oh. I can see her pulling it off.
1: That's a good, that's a great choice. That's and, an excellent choice.
0: And then um, CJ Cherry. Uh-huh. And the guy who wrote The Builders, whose name I can't think of right now.
1: Daniel Polanski?
0: Yeah. I, all three of them, I think those would be, if I were to pick authors to do it, those were authors that I would pick.
1: Yeah. You blew my mind with the first one, uh, <laughs> Jemison, which I'm like, Duh. So, so she actually does do it because she does kind a second-person yeah. narrative. Yeah, she does a second-person narrative, right? Um, and I'm like, well, th- thanks for deflating me on, on that one right right from the get-go.
0: <laughs> Occasionally, uh, it, I blow Mark's mind, guys. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> that, that, that was an excellent, excellent choice. Um, and so, in the second thing, here's the second thing I wanted to bring up about the fall of the House, house of Usher, is this narrative setup. Where you're in a spooky house, which, in some ways, can be viewed as sentient—the house
2: itself—and
1: mm-hmm. yeah. in other ways, it's it's a spooky setting with creepy people inside it. To your original point, isn't this the setup of basically every murder mystery for the next hundred years? Yeah, you go to lock behind you. You can't escape until you figure out who the killer is.
2: Ha ha ha!
0: Yeah. Right absolutely no it's very much like that and um i don't know if he was the original setup i mean i don't but he's pretty close to the original at least in the english language of this right. type of setup
1: well, and so the reason i was thinking about that this time because it's been it's been what now three weeks since i've read the story so i apologize if you one that don't have specific quotes here both in the masquerade death and the fall of the house of usher it's the setting that drives the story he spends so much time creating the setting that everything else falls into the the
0: ambiance sets everything else right 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 so and interestingly virtually no dialogue in either story and he doesn't do dialogue in general though so
1: yeah so and the other thing I i was struck by is like you know again we're talking about like the setting of every murder mystery it's also the setting of all kinds of like horror stuff. I mean, obviously Stephen King took from I mean, it. I mean, look at the Amityville Horror. That might as well be Fall of Usher sets you know, updated for the 20th century. Right?
0: Yeah. Um. So. Or gonna... The
1: Shining or
0: Yeah, I have not know, read The Shining. Cetera. Oh,
1: cetera. Shi- <laughs> the Shining definitely is the Fall of the House of Usher. It's 100% that. So, um. Well,
0: I mean, I know uh, the main plot, so yeah. Yeah.
1: So so fans of Stephen King who have read The Shining, please go back and read The Fall of the House of Usher. And fans of Edgar Allan Poe who read The Fall of the House of Usher, please take the time to read The Shining. The book. You can wa- you can watch the movie too if you
0: want. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. So the other interesting thing um about this, it you were talking about how the house is a character. Like yes. Roderick completely believes the house is alive he's like i'm he he, it's like a real thing for him which is that's right anyway but the other real quick thing i want to mention just difference in style between the fall of the house of usher and the the mask of the red death is when you're reading the the fall of the house of of usher you are looking at giant big blocks of text and then yes and the mask of the red death is not like that at all i mean they have a few spots that are kind of so it just you feel like the house is falling in on you as you are reading this story. and it's that's that's an excellent point. I
1: just I, I stop and and sit on that for a second. You will not get the same impression if you quote, read this book by listening to it on an audiobook. You will not get the same impression of the story um to your exact point. I mean, that's that's a really, really good point.
0: I would also like to point out that uh, the fall of the house of Usher is available on Kindle for 99 cents and the mask of the red death, death is free. There's also a free version. If you're a prime member for audible for the audio, or, or good, any <laughs> of
1: your local libraries, they have multiple copies of Edgar oh, yeah. Allen Pooh all yeah. over
0: the place. So yeah, they're great. They're so great. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Our music is better days by John worthy. I'm Allison, and that guy's Mark. Bye, guys. Your first feeling is that it's scary when you read it. The second, Mm -hmm. at least for this read-through, I was like, this is not scary. This is just sad. It's just so sad. And I'm sorry I almost
2: started crying yet again. It's okay. Well, Well, that's why I jumped in and started talking.